Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hi, I am Roxanne Gay, the co-host with Tressie McMillan-Cottom of Here to Slay from Luminary. We have an excerpt from this week's show we'd like to share with you. We recently spoke with Adrian Miller about barbecue and why Black people are all too often erased from the history of barbecue. If you want to hear more, you can listen to the whole thing by going to luminary.link slash slay. Tressie, it is May, and you know what that means. Does it mean I get to lay down? It, what does it mean? <laughs> That's part of what it means. <laughs> it means that we get to maybe take a break, but it's almost summer. And that means we're going to be able to hang out with friends, sit in the sun, and, of course, cookouts. Uh, and when you have cookouts, if you're lucky, you're also going to have really good food. <laughs> Truly, if you're lucky and if you know the right people. Because there is no guarantee. Cookouts fall along the spectrum when it comes to food. Especially <laughs> when other people bring food. Like I, I like to interview people when they say they want to bring some food to my house. Like I'm going to need to know what you yes. put in it, how you make it, and are you clean? In my neck of the woods, that's called knowing your people. So like mm-hmm. it's like we need to know who your people are, mm-hmm. right? Because you just don't show up and start bringing food. Who raised you? What church did y'all go to? <laughs> what is your position on Duke's mayonnaise? Like these things are very, very serious. <laughs> <laughs> and so today, to help us talk about these serious matters, and especially to talk about barbecue, which is the mainstay of any good cookout, we are going to be speaking with soul food scholar Adrian Miller about the culinary tradition of barbecue. Adrian is a food writer, a James Beard Award winner, an attorney. And a certified barbecue judge. Which is a real thing. Which I did not know, but now I do. I have been enlightened. Yes, it is a real thing. I have seen Adrian judging things, by the way. Uh, His most recent book is called Black Smoke, African Americans and the United States of Barbecue. The book explores the history of barbecue, which, like most things in this country, is also the history of race and class and place Mm. and inequality. There's nothing that doesn't have that. And it's that's just as true of barbecue as it is of anything else. The book also talks about the media's recent coverage of barbecue and the way that has erased Black barbecuers from the craft. Hello, Adrian. Welcome to the show. Good to be with you. Y'all are hilarious. Also, I just want to note, <laughs> May is National Barbecue Month, in case you didn't know that. Did not know that, actually. I did not know that. It's also National Short Story Month. <laughs> I sound like so such a nerd short that. stories and eat a rib. Is that what's supposed to go down? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yes, indeedy. Well, one of the things that we know about barbecue, and this is a Tressy question, really, is that barbecue differs from region uh-huh. to region. Uh-huh. Yes, it does. Now, I'm not going to tell you where I'm from, Adrian. Mm-hmm. I'm simply going to ask you the question that will determine how this whole interview goes. <laughs> and that is, which is superior, Eastern or Western North Carolina barbecue? And why is Eastern the correct answer? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. So look, this is a weighted answer because I haven't had much Western mm, North uh-huh. Carolina barbecue. Because so you only, love yourself. Yeah, I've only had Eastern. So an Eastern, for those who don't know, it's usually whole hog barbecue with the mm-hmm. vinegar and red pepper sauce, mm. um, you know, a coleslaw, hush puppies, that kind of thing. So um, <sighs> I've had barbecue by Ed Mitchell, a legendary yes. African-American pit master. And then one of my favorite places in the whole country to eat barbecue is a place called Grady's in Dudley. North Carolina. So it's an older yes. black couple in their 70s. Who knows how much longer they're going to be doing it. But mm-hmm. just just dope barbecue. So I will okay. say Eastern North Carolina. And that's because Thank that's you. my that experience. Is, that is the correct that answer. That is the correct answer. So when we get into fights, by the way, that's the most reliable fight for me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. If I ever want to start drama, I get on Twitter and I say, why is Eastern North Carolina the better barbecue? And people fall out, mm-hmm, Adrian, mm-hmm. over their, you know, their favorite. Why do we feel this way about food? Okay, as somebody who does not live in North Carolina, what I can tell you is people are faking the funk all across the country when it comes to North Carolina barbecues. They're not making it well. So what they're doing is they're cooking their barbecue one way, and then they say, put this vinegar sauce on it as a condiment, Mm -hmm. and that's North Carolina style. And anybody who knows about this particular barbecue style, which is the earliest, Mm. is that you add that that vinegar base throughout the cooking process. So it gives it a depth of flavor. Yeah. Uh And then, you know, that the extra sauce is later. But by the time you get done, you don't really even need the sauce because it just tastes good. So I think that's why a lot of people have an attitude about uh, Carolina barbecue. Okay. We've been misrepresented. Oh, yeah. What's wrong with the, why do we pay so much attention to the Texas people? So, you know what? Texans are just very good cheerleaders for their culture. So, <laughs> that's that's the thing. Damn. They are really I good. I know. Shots fired. Braca, braca, braca. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, because when you say Texas barbecue, people automatically gravitate to Central Texas, which is, as a tradition, you know, roughly 100 years old. But the earliest barbecue, if, you, if you're not counting Latinos who are doing their own thing in South Texas, right. the yes. earliest what we call Southern barbecue shows up with enslaved African-Americans in the 1820s and 30s. There's already documented newspaper articles about African-Americans making barbecue. Nobody talks about East Texas. Mm-hmm. And that area mm-hmm. should get some more shine because really that's where it, it you know, that's where it really starts. And so how does this black tradition of barbecue begin when I, I know enslaved people began it? So but who had the idea, like, I'm going to take this meat outside and I'm going <laughs> to grill it. <laughs> so actually, one of the biggest uh, kind of surprises in my research is I, I say that Native Americans really are the ones that laid uh-huh, the foundation mm-hmm. for barbecue. I can see that. Yep. I can see that. And so Native Americans had various ways of smoking meat. And some, sometimes mm-hmm. it was for, you know, eating it immediately. But a lot of times it was for preservation. And so mm-hmm. then Europeans show up and they bring their grilling techniques, fuse it with what Native American smoking techniques. And then barbecue starts to evolve as this intermediary type of cooking. And then enslaved Africans show up and mm-hmm. add their kind of traditions, and it all comes together. So that by the time you get to the late 1700s, Virginia barbecue is what people first called it, is an identifiable thing. And that was digging hmm. the trench, filling it with hardwood coals, and then cooking yes. whole animals over it directly over it. And putting it in that, yes, yeah. yes. And then you had enslaved people doing all that work, because what was the racial norms of the time, right? Mm-hmm. If, you want, if you had hard work that needed to be done, and you didn't want to pay the people to do it, you got mm-hmm. enslaved African-Americans do it. So by the time you get to the 19th century, blackness, slavery, and barbecue are wedded. I mean, there are newspaper mm-hmm. articles that say, if you want authentic Southern barbecue, you got to have a, they would say a Negro man or a colored man mm-hmm. running the show. 
Mm-hmm. And it was a black experience from start to finish. So all that prep work, all the cooking, the serving, and then even after the barbecue was done, they had uh, enslaved African-Americans entertaining the group by singing plantation uh-huh. melodies, spirituals, cakewalks, all that stuff. So it was a black experience. It's amazing how complete an experience it was and how completely wedded with black traditions and black conditions barbecue has been. So how does it evolve to where barbecue is today, where we have all of these regional variations, whether it's Kansas City barbecue or Memphis barbecue, Texas barbecue, etc.? So that standardized barbecue that I described, that's what that was barbecue was that for 200 years. But then Mm -hmm. by the time you get to the end of the 19th century, barbecue is shifting from this rural phenomenon to an urban context. And when it goes from rural to urban, that's where you start getting people that focus on smaller cuts of meat instead of whole animal cooking. Ah, yeah. Makes sense. Because space is a problem. You don't have you can't dig a hole. Exactly. Okay. And then in an urban context, right, if you have a restaurant, you got to figure out, well, how am I going to make this barbecue and then hold it so that Mm -hmm. it still tastes good later, all that kind of stuff. And if you're a cook, you know it's a lot easier to cook something that's broken down into pieces than the whole animal. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that shift Mm -hmm. to the urban context leads to all kinds of innovation. So once you start focusing on smaller cuts of meat, then you've got people just doing pork shoulders, which is what Western North Carolina barbecue usually features. Some people call it Piedmont or Lexican style barbecue. Then you get the ribs, the brisket, all of that stuff comes from that shift to urban barbecue. Okay. So the sociologist in me is fascinated by that because what you can then trace is in the development of barbecue as a tradition, it moving from like the cookout structure to the restaurant structure. That's also about how people are moving all across the country. That's Black folks also moving from the South, right? To all of these places, North and West. So by the time you get to the mid 1800s, Black people are the principal cooks of barbecue. In mm-hmm. fact, most people, the conventional wisdom is if you want to get the best stuff, you need African-Americans cooking it. Now, there were certainly white dudes cooking it, right? But for the most part, it was African-Americans. And then after emancipation, you've got this group of people with a very marketable and refined mm-hmm. skill that they become barbecue's most effective ambassadors. So all in the late 1800s, people are saying, hey, we want to have a Southern barbecue. And so they put Black people on trains, stagecoaches, and, mm-hmm. and boats mm-hmm. to show up to the community. Ship, and do ship bar- us out. Yep, to do the barbecue. <laughs> and sometimes it would be an in and out thing, right? The person would come in, do the barbecue, mm-hmm. head back home. But a lot of times they just stayed. And when they stayed, they kickstarted that area's barbecue tradition. So that's what happened in places like Kansas City, Denver, California, you Mm -hmm. name it. Black people were many of the earliest entrepreneurs. But then by the time you get to the late 1890s, early 1900s, you start to have more and more white men getting in the game. Right. Yeah, 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. So as it moves to a restaurant, it also gets whiter. Is that right? Only in terms of ownership, really, because Uh, a lot of these restaurants still had black staff doing right, the cooking. Right. Most of the times it was it was either a white owner with black staff. Mm-hmm. African-Americans mm-hmm. still were lagging behind, but it's and by the late 1910s, early 1920s have definitely caught up. And so, okay. uh, yeah, you see a high, you see a really intense growth in barbecue restaurants. And then the funny thing is in the 1920s, you see a lot of ads with people trying to sell their restaurants because they didn't know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. some things never change. Yeah. I was just about to say that feels very present. <laughs> so how did you fall in love with barbecue? Because now you are renowned for your barbecue. You've written this book, Black Smoke. Uh, so when did you decide this is my path? 
So uh, I'm going to just admit something right up. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to lose all street cred on barbecue. I was born and raised in Denver, Colorado. But. Oh, you should have started there. <laughs> Hold up. Hold up. Okay. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Midwesterner, too. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, so okay. All right. I know. And I give y'all a hard time all the time. I don't know what y'all were doing out there. How did you end up there? Especially, though, what were you doing thinking about barbecue? Yeah. Well, so my parents are from the South. My mom's from Chattanooga, yeah. Tennessee. My dad's from Helena, okay. Arkansas. So that's what we grew mm-hmm. up eating. So, yeah. uh, but you know, I didn't think deeply about barbecue until uh, later in life. Cause before my deepest thoughts about barbecue were like, dang, this is good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is how most of us think about yeah. it. But it changed when, um, 2004, I was watching the food network and Paula Dean had a show. It was called Paula Dean Southern barbecue. And yep. I thought, well, let me watch this show just cause I wanted to see the latest on kind of barbecue in the South as someone who doesn't live there. And hour later, after the uh, credits rolled, there were no black people interviewed on air. So I'm sitting there with my mouth agape saying, okay, first of all, how's that even happen? And then secondly, I thought, well, maybe I got it twisted. Maybe it was Paula Deen's Scandinavian barbecue sponsored by Alabama White Sauce. You know, maybe I just didn't pay (laughs) close attention to the ad. You missed something. You missed a credit. (laughs) So, but you know what? I started looking at other television shows. Yes. Yeah. Magazines. That's right. And and I was like, man, this is happening all over the place. You wouldn't even know that black people barbecue. Uh At this point, barbecue had become not just white in my mind, but very male. So it was white men, middle to upper, I'd even say really upper middle class. Like, yes, because right, they the, had the leisure time to test things yes. out and experiment with yes. rubs and sauces. Yeah, it reminds me of the um, the beer brewing industry, mm-hmm. yep. right? Mm-hmm. Where it becomes this little subculture where they make it all about science. You know, mm-hmm. it's about, oh, you got to innovate the right temperature and the right this and the da 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 that. And they strip sort of like the cultural tradition of the practice. And then the next thing you know, they're the face of the product. And I feel like stuff like the Food Network, but not just them. I think, you know, all of the cooking shows have had this problem. Oh, yeah. No, it was endemic. And uh, the thing is that what's it's really interesting is barbecue had long been thought of as a craft, right? Like mm-hmm. the people that do it, you know, but it didn't have the trappings of craft until you get to the 1990s when you have a lot of white dudes starting to do it. Uh-huh. And then barbecue becomes cool. And what I argue in my book is that in the 1990s, we see the development of kind of four archetypes of white dudes who barbecue. Mm-hmm. So you've got the Bubba type, you know, uh-huh. the real working class kind of guy. Uh, yeah. You've got the competition circuit guy. You've mm-hmm. got the the hipster, you know, with interesting facial hair, glasses, tattoos. Yeah, I know that guy. And then you've got the fine dining chef, you know, tokes who smoke. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they're in barbecue now in a way they never were before. And because of their involvement in barbecue, they've, ac- they've actually been uh, redefining barbecue away from an African-American aesthetic. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. I, do, I say, hey, no, barbecue should not be sauced. I think a lot of black people would say, says who? Um, yes. Yeah. Please. Yeah. You need to because sit down. <laughs> sit down. Mm-mm. And I, I was going to say that what they want to do is they want to make barbecue neat. Right. Yeah. Where it's not mm-hmm. sloppy right. to eat because exactly. that's not fine dining. Right. Uh-huh. And, and, and the emphasis on high quality meat. So, you know, they're saying use Kobe beef or Wagyu beef. I wish you would barbecue I mean, some Kobe that, beef. I mean, do you want it to fall <laughs> apart in the first five minutes? You know, it's funny. You should say that because <laughs> last summer I was trying to, you know, because we were so bored with pandemic summer. I was trying to make Kobe beef uh, hamburgers, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it all like that twenty dollar meat all fell through the grill. You sure did. And the grill I enjoyed bet. it, but yep. we didn't. 
because that fat content, it does not hold together. No, there's yeah. not much yep. you can do. And also, they've been saying minimal seasoning. Oh, well, you know. Well, yeah, just salt I mean, and pepper, you know, right? I mean, at mm-hmm. that point, now it's just a it's just a character of itself. Yeah, right. Back, yeah. back, back <laughs> to normal. Right. Make barbecue, but no seasoning. Right. And then they've been saying, hey, you got a bar- true barbecue is cooked low and slow. Um, mm-hmm. indirect heat, which is, again, that's not the way barbecue was cooked for 200 years. It's more of a recent thing. But I know a lot of African-American barbecuers who cook hot, fast, then slow. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so it, it may seem subtle, but the culmination of all of this has been has shifted barbecue away from black people. Mm-hmm. And my thing is, there's plenty of room in the cookout for everybody. But yeah. African-Americans have made significant contributions to this cuisine. And it's it's time to reorient back to African-Americans. Indeed. Indeed. I have watched several of the Netflix shows. I watched the the barbecue series. I know I don't tell you. Yeah, you are in this series, if I remember correctly. I had advised. I, I consulted on it. Yeah. Consult, that's credits, right. Yeah. I remember you. That's right. I remembered your name associated with it. And, you know, it was still whiter than probably we would like. But they did travel throughout some of the deeper parts of the South and uh, visited with, you know, black barbecue pitmasters. Yeah. And one of the things I noticed, Adrian, that I love your comments on is that it seems like one of the things that happens, of course, is that our traditions aren't written down in quite the same way. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes really easy then to, you know, center like the white fine dining chef who will have 15 cookbooks mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. will be in, in Walmart and Target branded on the thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, we're still just like down there in the pits actually making it, but it's all still so oral, the oral traditions. Right. What should we be doing to preserve and think about keeping track of that oral tradition? Right. We need to start supporting and amplifying folks who are in this space. We've got a whole generation of barbecuers who are savvy with social media. It, mm-hmm. it costs you nothing to like them and to retweet yeah. or repost because that's the game, right? That's how they get leverage. And if we amplify their work, that helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rodney Scott, who was featured in Chef's Table. Which, yep. so, so he's come out with a barbecue book called Rodney Scott's World of Barbecue. Do you know that that is the first book by an, a practicing African-American barbecuer in at least three decades? No, that is surprising. Every time I hear a statistic like that, I just get so disgusted. Right. How is that possible? Right. And you can say, well, you know, maybe black barbecuers need to pitch their work and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, but that's no, part of it. No, but we know maybe, better than that. Roxanne and I know better than that. Yeah. That's not where it breaks People down. People always exactly. talk about, well, we can't publish what doesn't come to us. Right. Then go get it. And they do. Yeah. They do. And they do for mm-hmm. everybody else. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact, and I'm not, I can't go into too much detail, but I know for mm-hmm. a fact that a major publisher approached a white guy to write the black barbecue story. And to his credit, he said no. An African-American needs to do that. You can listen to the full episode and other great conversations we've been having on Here to Slay by going to luminary.link slash slay. Not dot com. Luminary.link slash slay. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hold up. 